Are the rumours true that this is out of the flooring porter betting syndicate that we were... They're trying to, to hide the money here, Will. That's what yeah. they're trying to do now. I can either <laughs> confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. The Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support. Everyone ran their socks off tonight and they left everything out there. They're very proud of the, the team's performance. Let the shackles off Katie a bit so that she can go and play her game. We're going to go out there to beat them. We're going to try and beat them. Hello there, you are listening to episode 20 of the Koi Gig Pod, your one-stop shop for all the WSL, WNL and Irish football analysis, opinions, gossips, whatever you could want. I'm Karen Duggan and back with me after taking a little break from me is Ruth Fahey Fresh off the back of the Women's Football Conference, I believe, in Galway. How was that, Ruth? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say fresh now and I'm wondering. But, um, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. The conference had been on for the previous two years because of COVID. Um, so it's in my hometown of the best place in the world, Galway, mm. as you well know. Um, so we had a couple of local DOs speaking and very interestingly, we had two board members, um, Liz Joyce and Catherine Guy, I hope I haven't mixed up those names. And they were fascinating. So they've obviously come on to the FEI board. So very positive in terms of gender balance. Um, but a question was put from the floor in terms of who is in there, you know, representing the voice of women's football. And I think the answer was it's still a work in progress. So kind of just, it was just like an update really on where things are at in terms of the strategy. Um, but it was nice to see them involved in the conference and to see them in person um, and just go crack in general meeting everybody. So the only unfortunate was I was at the same time as women's Ashley games. So you guys couldn't come <laughs> um, and coaches couldn't come. So that was a little bit of an oversight, but uh, no, it was great. Really good day. Uh, a little bit of and, an oversight. Happens uh, quite often. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, of course, Emma Carroll will be along with us later for Team of the Week. And we'll also be talking about something a little bit different in the second half of the pod. Chris McElligot from FAI's Football for All initiative will be joining us to chat through all the brilliant work that's being done by them to include everybody in the Irish football community in our beautiful game. So before that, um, they're an officially a WSL team. We'll go to and talk about Liverpool because we do have a good Irish contingency there. Um, so we'll be talking about them a lot next season. Your home, hometown gal as well, Niamh Fahey, lifting the mm. cup. That's It was just great to see, wasn't it? There was serious scenes there. And a record crowd, I think, five and a half thousand for a championship game. Um, so that was fantastic to see. Yeah, love seeing the pictures. There is something really, really special. And for all the, you know, the jiving we give to Emma, picking her team of the week and having the Irish contingent, there is something really nice about seeing the girls do so well. And especially the likes of Niamh, Leanne, um, you know, Megan as well, uh, totally deserve from the season that they've put in and can't wait to, to see them next year as well. Yeah, there'll definitely be even more opportunity for Irish bias in the team of the week, so Emma will be mm-hmm. buzzing. Um, it was a historic week in general for women's football, just to briefly touch on the Barcelona-Real Madrid game, 91,000 people at it. Amazing. Probably to see one of the best women's football teams, the best probably ever, this Barcelona squad. Yeah, it's Barcelona have just been an incredible story the last couple of years because it was all Leon, Leon, Leon. Mm. Um, over the last few seasons, Barcelona, they've just been doing everything right. Uh, the way they play is just so entertaining. They've got brilliant characters and they're so good to watch. And that's, you know, we're not, well, I'm uh, surprised to see plus 90,000 spectators, mm. but I'm not surprised that a record crowd came to attend that Real Barcelona uh, derby match and yeah the worthy winners that go through and 
hopefully it'll draw more crowds now for the semifinals. Yeah, it's hard to hard to see them being stopped. Um, on our own shores, obviously uh, smaller crowds, but no, no less excitement <laughs> in the WNL this week. Um, oh yes, yes, that's it. But um, well, let's start bring... that, Karen. But let's not let's not deflect, please. Come on, we need to we need to ask you how was okay. your weekend. Never mind asking me about me and my conference. How no. was your weekend? It was good. There was ups and downs. Obviously, we had a great result, um, beating Wexford four uh, 0 Really good performance. We obviously knew at that point that we were already on the back foot. That we were getting um, docked three points for mm. basically an administrative error. So it was. Did you know that before. We, itself, we yeah. did, yeah. So it that's why it, you're so angry, wasn't it? That's why you scored so many goals. Possibly, possibly, yeah. yeah. But we just knew that the pressure was on. I mean, too, it would be too early in the season for us to be down six points on our nearest rivals. So it was important mm-hmm. for us to get results and we put in a really, really good performance. It would have been helped if Sligo could have hung on for another couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelburne nicked a goal, I think, like the 92nd minute to win that one, 1 0. But again, shows the progress that Sligo are making. Yeah, I think every neutral was watching that nil all and hoping that what they would hang in, especially away in Talca as well. Um, that's unbelievably exciting for for Sligo. That'll give them a massive boost. It was nice to see Emma Hansbury as well in Team of the Week. I'm sure we're going to see plenty of her name in that graphic throughout the season. Um, but yeah, no no surprise at Shelburne. They love a last minute winner, don't they? And oh, you know, credit to Kiva Keenan as well, who's come yeah. back from an ACL injury and to have the character and the just, I suppose, the patience to be able to hang in there for that. Um, really impressive, but yeah, good for Sligo, but they will take so much from that. Yeah, and Galway got back to winning ways after their blip against that zone, which was good to see 2-0 win against Treaty. Um, probably again to be expected, but good for them to get back on track nonetheless. Yeah, you say to be expected, but I still very painfully remember going to Treaty last season and being 2-0 up and conceding two goals in the last four minutes. So... Never say never with these things. So um, Galway would be definitely really pleased to come away, whether it's 2-0 or 5-0 going to Treaty, you want to come away with three points. So yeah, they'll be happy because that was a disappointing result last week against Athlone. Yeah, and Cork getting some points on the board um, against Bowes after the start they'd had to the season. Possibly didn't expect that result, but a, a good 2-0 win and hopefully the start of them coming into themselves a little bit because I know they had been a little bit disappointing um, in their early games. But good, good win against Bowes. Yeah, definitely. And it's a it's a really big win as well. Um, you know, Bows are an up and coming team, getting better better every week. But Cork are a strange one. Like I always like seeing Cork do well because they, they should be have, doing well. I suppose that's because that's yeah. it. They should be doing well. They have they've a strong history in the league and in the cup. Um and they have really good supports down in Cork. And like they have all the internal the things I talk about a lot and the background supports and internal structures are quite solid there. So you'd like to see that reflected in the team, but it's just been really hard for them losing players. Really, really hard. It's probably something that you can't overcome. You know, all the good, solid internal structures in the world um, can't can't make up for that. So it's good to see them getting three points on the board. Happy for them. It is. And an export that we've had from the league, segueing into the WSL, mm-hmm. uh, Katie McKay made her 150th appearance for Arsenal. That's no mean feat. That was in a 5-0 win over Leicester. Now, Leicester are off the back of a 9-0 defeat the previous week. They're they'll be delighted to get to the end of this season and just kind of stop the rot that's kind of happening there at the moment. But Arsenal, yeah, just prolific again. Mead had one in the back of the net after two minutes. Meadema bounced up with two. That's a really interesting one who's going to get golden boot between her and Mm -hmm. Sam Kerr, both scoring two this weekend. But Arsenal, very, very convincing. Um, Doing what they have to do to try and keep tabs on, on Chelsea. 
Yeah, exactly. And doing everything that they can as well. I think there's five a five goal difference in between them and Chelsea. Um, I thought you were going to say Leicester would have been happy just to lose 5-0 <laughs> as a bit harsh Karen. No. Uh, but no they were just completely outclassed completely outplayed um, for Arsenal I suppose they are coming off the back of that loss in the Champions League so it was important mm. that they bounce back and yeah prolific is the word they're just um, they've just been amazing to watch this season and Katie McCabe stand out again and like you say 150 appearances is phenomenal um, when you look back to the, to the the history and the fact she had to go on loan in her initial year or two and just come back and just yeah it's a great story and it's really inspiring it is um and they had to win and they had to win convincingly because Chelsea romped home against Reading as well um put five past them they got their first in the 40th minute but once they got that goal they just went up a gear their final ball in was just better England was brilliant up mm. front and and Big credit to her because she's often on the bench and she's waiting her opportunity. Um, Guru Wrighton, I thought, was amazing again. And Kerr, she just loves scoring goals. They were the first one was a messy kind of miss hit goal, but when you're that kind of striker, they go in. She she just knows where the back of the net is. Yeah, um, glad you pulled out Beth England there. She's her her character is incredible. Um, she was a star player before Kerr came in and. Kerr and Kirby will take the plaudits and much of it. So, and sitting on the bench like a player of Beth England's caliber, um, it's definitely a serious mental challenge. But oh my God, she was incredible, wasn't she? Some of the mm. finishes were brilliant. Um, she was involved in everything in the final third. Uh, just really aggressive, really tenacious. And yeah, for me, player of the match for sure. And it's hard to see them slipping up, I think. I mean, they just seem to be a team full of winners. I don't think that. They being on top of the league doesn't phase them. That's where they expect mm. to be. Um, so I, at this point, yeah, I think I'm tipping Chelsea. Are you tipping Chelsea? Yeah, I think so. It's um, just even looking, just to skip ahead and look at their games. Um, what Chelsea are 44 points, Arsenal 43. Chelsea Spurs home and away. Probably can't see them losing there. Birmingham yeah. away, three points, but they've got United at home. The That's United the one. going to be so interesting because I think the Champions League spot will come down to that final game as well. Like it's obviously going to be between themselves and Man City for that one. So you yeah. could potentially have both teams really, really needing the win, um, which makes for a fascinating end of season affair if it goes down to the wire. It'd be brilliant for us as a neutral to kind of watch. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's only because of that game that I'm not going to hang my hat on Chelsea. Um, I see Arsenal getting all maximum points with Everton, Villa, West Ham and Spurs, but it's that United final mm. game for Chelsea. I could see a slip up there. Ooh, watch this space. Um, United weren't as convincing as they had been in previous games, but they got their sixth home league win in a row. Um, Leah Galton getting the goal against Brighton. Uh, United had come close a good few times before that, but yeah, I think Mark Skinner was was happy to just kind of get over the line with that one. He spoke about going back to the drawing board and, and talking about their finishing and things like that. But they had been on a really good run and they still managed to get the win. And that's what's important because again, Man City, 2-0 win over West Ham, five-game winning streak. And I saw a good bit of it. They they controlled the game. I know West Ham had one or two chances where maybe they could have drawn level at one all, but I, I thought Man City were, were totally in control. And again, they I think Bunny Shaw, if she had had more game time, she would have um, put away more than just the one chance that she did in the game. Yeah, just City are on an opposite road, aren't they? Um, mm. You mentioned five game winning streak. I think it's seven games in all competitions as well. They've just they just came into the season just a little bit too late to, to challenge for the top the top of the table. Um, but there was a point. I think it was one 0 to City 
There's a through ball from West Ham. I'm not sure if you saw that, but Claudia Walker was offside. Running alongside her was, was Leon and it was literally, she had the whole final third You'd of space. And then you would kill her. Walker, she just had to, she just had to let it go. She just like, as if her body reacted where her brain did um, and she was called offside. But my God, you you wouldn't forgive her quickly, would you, if that was your team? No, there'd be, it'd be a, a long trip home on that team bus if that had happened with me, you know, I have to say. And um, the Champions League space looks to have slipped away from Spurs and, um, they hadn't scored in a couple of day- games and it came back to bite them again against Aston Villa and um, Petzelberger getting an 87th minute win for them. It's a really good win for Aston Villa because they had spoken about not getting points in these kind of games. It, now, their manager, Carla Ward, said it was an ugly game afterwards. Yeah. And mm-hmm. some, of, some of the Spurs games I've watched have been ugly, but they haven't been firing on all cylinders lately and, and they were punished against Aston Villa, but good points for Villa. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm glad you referenced that quote. It was an ugly game. I think you said it was an ugly game, but they deserve to win it. And I think I just about agree with that. Mm. Um, you'd feel a little bit sorry for Spurs. You know, they were, they were within touching distance of the Champions League spaces at, at one point. But I think at 28 points now, you're looking at seven points behind City in fourth place. You're looking at just slipping away a little bit. And they did have a tough few weeks. Uh, they had a little COVID kind of outbreak at one mm. point and they don't seem to have recovered from that. Um, but I do think Villa deserved that. It was, it was a nice goal as well from Petzelberger to seal it at the end. Yeah, and finally we had a thrilling nil all. But Birmingham got another always point won. on the board. There is always <laughs> one. Um, Everton had lost their last two away games, so I'd say Birmingham, I guess, were buoyed by that. Um, they stayed in the game well, and there's not much more to say on that. Yeah, they no, they did. They stayed yeah. in the game well. Um, Emily Ramsey was pretty solid in goals yeah, for Birmingham, so that's that's a. That's a discussion point. <laughs> point on the board. That, that's, <laughs> that's something to mention. But apart from that, yeah, no, they all draw and not too much excitement yeah, apart from that. But too. yeah, all eyes on the top of the table anyway, really. Birmingham are, are not long for the, the WSL. But yeah, the top of the table is really, really, really interesting. So we'll be keeping mm-hmm. an eye on that. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Actually, with big news today, Katie McCabe being announced as the Cadbury ambassador for their new campaign to support grassroots football for women in Ireland. And they're aiming to put €50,000 into our game on home soil. So what a difference that will make, what a difference it could have made when we were younger. I think it's a really exciting time to be coming up playing football in Ireland now, especially since Cadbury's have got on board. You see the billboards and everything that they're doing to promote mm. the game. Um, it's just fantastic to see. Yeah, that's right. Really, I actually first time I've heard of it. So thank you cool. for letting me know. We're all haven't, learning something here today. I haven't had much time today to agree. <laughs> um, but that's that's incredible. And, you know, for all the talk of pushing our league forward and, and when you say Cadbury's investment, yeah. Yeah, Whatever. it's actually a tangible amount. It's 50,000 yeah. 50, and it's it's quite refreshing to see a company actually pledge a figure like that because um, that will go really, really far. And obviously investing in grassroots has a direct impact on everything else. So that's yeah, really amazing. Credit to them. Yeah, big time. And I will be looking forward to their support of our Irish women's team um, who are now in camp getting ready for that all-important qualifier against um, Sweden next week. So if you have any opinions, suggestions or thoughts on what we've just been discussing, get them into us on Twitter using at off the ball, using the hashtag OTB We would love to hear them. Now, Emma Carroll is joining us with her team of the week. Um, we had... One plus we had yeah we had goals so I'd imagine that this will be very attacking heavy but who has 
made your team of the week this week. Yeah, very, very surprising uh, <laughs> attack this week, I'd say. Um, yeah. Goalkeeper went with um, startup for Brighton. Wasn't too many outstanding goalkeeping performances this weekend and maybe could have done better for the goal against United, but overall I think she'd done quite well against them. Um, at the back I went with Greenwood, Kirk Dyke, Flaherty, Bright. A midfield two of Little John and O'Brien and a front four of Sam Kerr, Niedema, Nikita Paris and Beth England. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any surprises on the top of that pitch. Obviously, um, Kerr got two goals, Niedema got two goals. I don't know how many assists Nikita Paris got. She seemed to get like three in a row when we were watching them. Um, but we briefly spoke about Beth England before and just what she's like when she gets on the pitch, like, it doesn't it hasn't phased her that she's been sitting on the bench that the, she's not the person that everyone's talking about or going for golden boot she really put herself about and it's it's a testament to her character yeah she's taken her chance really um with Kirby and harder out um and for that first goal in particular which was mm. just amazing she took the throw in really quickly spotted mm. that the team was all over the place i think they lost it briefly and then she won it back passes to Wrighton and then she just bombs into the box and vin- finishes on a lovely volley. It was just like, it she made the goal, her, yeah. she scored the goal. Mm. She was excellent, I thought. Um, and same for the penalty as well. Made a penalty, absolutely buried the penalty. What as well. do you think of that though? Yeah. What do you think of her taking the penalty? Sam Kerr was on two goals. Sam Kerr is going for golden boot. I would say Sam Kerr is probably the penalty taker generally. What do, what do you make of that? I heard her in the um, the post match interview, and by the sounds of it, Kerr thought England was also on for a hat trick okay. because <laughs> no, when fair. England put it away, she said that Kerr came over and was like, "Oh my God, Hattie, well done!" And she's like, "No." Oh. <laughs> so I, oh my God, Sam is so maybe many, kicking yeah, herself that. Oh, so. imagine I like losing hat-trick. track of those goals and scoring. That's what nice. I was just going to say. There, I was scoring too many goals. Um, <laughs> we did be get... shouting there for Beth Mead as well. Um, I know oh, she is. Yeah, I know volley. she's featured quite a lot, but my God, she was just incredible. She scored a cracker involved in everything. Um, I can see why you had Nikita Paris in there as well, because it's nice to see her in good form and in strong form. But I don't know, Beth Mead is just outrageous as well. She's having an excellent season. And I couldn't get Lauren Hemp in there either this week. So that's saying a lot when yeah, that's, I can't that's get Mead or Hemp into the team. Um, I thought Mead yeah. was just excellent and involved in everything. And you wouldn't think she had had room to take her name, her game to the next level, but since she dropped deeper, she's just involved in everything and mm. getting two goals as well. And yeah, as you said, Paris came on off the bench, and I just thought she added that extra dimension to Arsenal. Yeah. I think a lot of the other players tend to try pass and get into spaces and pockets, and Nikita p- picks up the ball and she just Goes. runs at you. Mm. And like, yeah, I think she, she definitely got two assists, and she was definitely involved in a third one so there was no way I could leave her out no Uh, we'll give you that one (laughs) we will give you that one and we we have Rusha Littlejohn making her first appearance I think on your your team of the week yeah listen had to get some Irish in there Um, no I watched the (laughs) Villa and Spurs game it wasn't the most exciting game but I thought Rusha was involved in quite a lot Um, anytime I looked up it was her Pacheco as well was on the ball a lot so she's probably worth a show for Aston Villa as well but obviously I I think even Rachel Corsi as well was worth a show she was good for them um, yeah. 
uh, I see you've bright on playing right back there today, but yeah, well, I she was, she's 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 the right of the three centre backs, yeah. and the way she was playing um, on Sunday, she was up and down that right wing so much. So she yeah, might as well have been a right back. In recent weeks, her distribution has just been insane for setting up some of those attacks, and obviously the the girls up front are getting a lot of credit. They've scored 14 goals in two games which is fair um but she's she's been adding to that as well um yeah a few new names at the back there we did kind of mention maybe Emily Ramsey was a, a shout for goalkeeper um just because she helps Birmingham get a point yeah I think so I think yeah, I'd, I'd throw her in but I think I, now that's my bias I think I'm, it's yeah. like contagious Emma I can see why this happens because you just want you know, you want the girls in Birmingham to do well. You want some sort of positive amount of the game. But she she was quality. She, she, she kept them in that, you know, fairly dirty <laughs> visual of a nil all um, draw. But I think she probably had a shout out. But start up, to be fair, I can see why. Justified and then, also. Uh, Greenwood down the left. It is hard to pick. Um, if you could put Guru Wrighton in there if you're shoehorning people into different positions. I just yeah. love watching her play. She's, yeah, she's um, yeah, and she added another two assists and she just her work ethic is is fantastic. Um, I feel like there's just no egos in that Chelsea team. Like they're all winners. They just all work so hard. Um, it's obviously credit to Emma Hayes the way she's. Um, managing her squad like mm. is they keeping someone like England happy despite lack of game time that's huge credit to her man management I would say mm. yeah and Jesse Fleming as well played really well yeah also could like any other week might be in there as well with a shout so yeah that's that squad is just unbelievable because the players you have coming off the bench then and that's still with the likes of Kirby and mm. harder out in, injured loopholes yeah. obviously won't be playing now for who knows yeah. <laughs> how long um, when she has her, has her baby, but like it's just an unbelievable squad. Yeah. And well, uh, just on the Birmingham thing, getting a point, uh, a bit of confidence for the girls going into camp. Obviously, we've got Liverpool, those girls will be absolutely buzzing going into camp. Um, so that's going to be really good in terms of Irish perspective going into a really, really hard game against Sweden. Um, obviously, the squad was announced last week. The the only thing you'd be a little bit worried about is the the couple of injuries to the centre back positions. Um, obviously we mentioned that Savannah McCarthy has done her ACL, so we wish her all the best with her recovery. Um, but Diane Caldwell also hasn't recovered from her injury, which has kept her out of the last couple of Man United games. Um, who would you be thinking might slot into that third centre back position? Yeah, it's an interesting one because you want like you see Harriet Scott is back in the squad as well, and she obviously has the experience. Um, Chloe Mustaki is young and quite exciting to watch. Megan Campbell comes back into the squad as well, but I, I don't see her getting in for a game against Sweden. Unfortunately, I'd love to see her and love to see her throw some long throws in yeah. and, and maybe uh, work on some set pieces like that that might actually get us go. Maybe that's an option later in the game if we're keeping them at bay. Um, I wonder what... Think- uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I just yeah. I wonder if Chloe Mustaki have a shout out of starting. Like I just wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. Uh, just because I remember... Natural when- left footer as well. Yeah, and she's been really sort of like she performed really well in their in their recent friendly. I remember with Savannah, uh, we didn't think that she was going to feature, and she started. I can't, I can't remember. Sorry, who it was against when she did, and I wasn't sure. Like, was she ready? But it was her first involvement with the squad, and suddenly she was starting in a, in a qualifier, um, and she did really well. She had a shaky start, but what came into it, and I think that kind of bodes well for Chloe Mustaki, uh, who we know can definitely 
uh, compete at that level. She's definitely um, good enough. So just wouldn't be surprised to see her in, there, in that left side of the back yeah, three. Annie, do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I th- absolutely. I think there's any number of players, even Claire Walsh has always impressed when she's been given an opportunity. She's first name on the team sheet in Glasgow these days so not to forget about her there is options there it's just that you know you're coming up against it when you're playing Sweden so you just want to make sure that <laughs> it's, you're you're really ready for it I would say possibly adding someone like Claire is a good idea just for pace um, yeah. besides Louise and Neve Fahey but again we'll probably be very deep so it might be go for someone who's bigger stronger kind of a thing but yeah it remains to be seen but something to look forward to anyway next week um we obviously don't have wsl so emma you you put away four or five of those screens um next weekend <laughs> you'll but find you some other other matches yeah, we're not, say, emma, we're not letting you get away <laughs> scot-free um emma you will still be with us next week i think we're probably due a shout of team of the season so far what do we reckon yeah, it's probably um, it's probably about time that we updated that team of the season so far, and then yeah, kind of before we get into the business end, the business and, end, the big yeah. business end. Yeah, so uh, get your opinions into us. Who's been the most consistent player so far this season? How many Irish players will Emma manage to shoehorn in? Get your thoughts, opinions, and predictions into us on Twitter using at off the ball using the hashtag OTBKoiGig. Now, we're delighted to be joined on this week's podcast by Chris McElligot from the FAI's Football for All initiative. So, Chris, you're working as a a football development officer going around promoting all types of power chairs, street leagues, other forms of disabilities, um, as well as amputee. But I'm really interested in in the amputee side of things because obviously you've been there since day dot. Um, Since the foundation of amputee football, I think it's 10 years ago. It has come on a long, long way. Can you kind of give us a summary on how it started and how it's developed over that time? Yeah, I suppose, um, well, it was started off by a a friend of mine in Limerick, uh, Simon Baker. He got in touch with the then coordinator of the Football for All programme, which in Jordan. Um, And they came up with the brainstorming idea of, of giving that opportunity to amputees players uh, it was I suppose they, they they did a bit of research in the Simon did he seen a couple of World Cups and countries that played in them and then it went from there like there was there was no opportunity for amputee players or, or, or amputee individuals apart from you know you could have uh, amputee golf like you know things like that Paralympic mm-hmm. golf where players could participate there but if you had players who who had a, a, a love for football there wasn't football so uh, the format of the game was a really, a really good one in the sense that and most people would laugh when they say this, that, you know, it's played on crutches. Every players have one leg and you play the game on crutches, which, um, which is, it, it's tough, but your body, you adjust to it. It gets used to it. Fear you get, and the goalkeepers have one arm and two legs. So goalkeepers can play mainstream football as well. They can with the one arm, you know, it can be gone from the wrist, the elbow and the shoulder. And the, the outfield players can be gone from the foot, the knee, and the hip. We also have players who have um, have have been born with their their limb in place, but it's non-functional, you know. And and they can they can play. So I think people sometimes kind of get confused a little bit when you say amputee football. So you have to have lost the limb, not necessarily, you know. You just have to. It has to be a certain. Um, Mount of inches off the floor, but also non-functional. 
It's fascinating. Just just for people that don't really know, and including myself, could you tell us a bit more about the rules? I loved like how many how many it's is it two halves, how many minutes aside, what yeah, size is the pitch, well, how many players? <laughs> yeah. International football rules um are are quite different than the rules we've enforced in, in our league because our league is is smaller pool of players to choose from, you know, and we've some of the national league clubs who are involved, we've we've format the five side game just so the players can play the game. And then as the interest grows, we'd increase the the, 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 the size of the teams, the size of the pitch. So the, the international game itself is played on a seven-a-side pitch, which is 60 by 40 in, in dimensions. Um, yeah, the rules of the game, the rules of the game are, are I suppose, it makes sense when we explain it because yeah. players are playing on the crutches. So the crutches are an extension to the arm. So if the ball hits the crutch intentionally, it's a handball. But if but if if it's for instance, if a player goes to block the ball and the crutches are planted in the ground, which they have to be to to enable the player to have some sort of stability as they try and make a block, the the, the referee would deem that as accidental and play on. Um, but if you decide if you're clever and decide to widen widen the widen the angle of the crutches and plant them. Then you're preventing an opportunity for a pass to be completed, which then is a handball. Um, so you, your residual limb, the leg that's missing, if the ball hits that or the player uses that to get off the ground, um, it's a free kick against the player. The, some players, are, as I said, are gone from below the knee, so they have the use of their knee, which would give them an advantage against somebody getting off the ground who's gone above the knee. So, you know, they're the sort of rules that we have in place for, for the outfield players. Goalkeepers, goalkeepers aren't allowed to leave their, their area, mm-hmm. their box. If a goalkeeper leaves their area intentionally, it's, it's deemed as a, an intentional foul or misconduct. And the referee would then see that as an automatic red card and a penalty decision. If the player's momentum carries them out of the box, well, then it's just a free kick. And okay. the ref and the, and the goalkeeper doesn't get punished okay, in so the sense not, of a card. Not messing about with those rules. What's the what's the it, refereeing standards like? I mean, it's very. It's it, we've 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 good referees here. We don't have enough referees here, if I'm being honest. Um, what we need to put together in and on the in the process of doing that is putting the workshop together with the referees to get all all the league referees all the league referees around the country to attend, you know, those who are interested to attend a one-day workshop where we bring in the two teams, Shamrock Rovers, Bowles and Cork City, won them. And we uh, and we have a game and we we kind of get the referees who are experienced who also mm. will do the games and we'll point out some of the decisions that are made and why they're made, clearly, clear and obvious ones. Okay. It's fascinating, actually. Yeah, really to be honest, it's fascinating. I'd love to get to a game. Am I right that you're, you're Rovers man now? Is that right, Chris? I am a Rovers man. I since since we set up the league, um, we tried to we tried to division the players in such a way that uh, all three teams had a had a, a good range of players with with a, a lot of experience in it, and so that we didn't want any one team being stronger than everybody else. Um, and it worked. It worked for a good bit of time, and then players, some players have retired, some players have finished playing. You know, and we're bringing new players into it. So 
we may have to do a redivision and again, but at the moment I play with Rovers. Um, like last year, I went on loan to Cork because Cork lost some players, so we had to fill the gap. So, uh, but again, it's it's a remarkable game. I don't mind who I play for. It's a pity there's no Pats team in it because after coming from the same Pats team many many years ago, it would have made all the sense in the world for me to go and play for a Pats team. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, that was me. My next question, because I I wondered uh, how it felt going going from being a former Patsman. You know, it, it would hold a, a very strong place in your heart. I hadn't realised you yeah. won a title with Pats in '96. Yeah, yeah. Uh, under yeah. Brian Kerr, of all the favourite men in the, in the whole world, what was he like as a manager? I have to say, he he was the he was the best manager I've ever worked under in the sense that he has he has so much knowledge about players in the League of Ireland. He, he can tell you he can tell you stats on players um till the cows come home. Like every player, and that, and I don't mean just the top teams, I mean every team in the National League, whether it be whether it be Premier Division, the fourth division, he's able to give you stats on them players and he knows everything about them. He knows the strengths and weaknesses. Like he's been watching that many games. Um excellent, excellent man. And and the sort of the man who would uh, will put his arm around you at times, you know, and and tell you, you know, what you need to do. But he was also guided by another great man in Noel O'Reilly, you know, God rest his soul. But um, two of them together were, were two legends. So it was obviously uh, you've had a great career, and it all yeah. changed at thirty um, when you were involved in an accident. You lost your leg. How? Long were you out of the game, and and what was your relationship like with football at that time? Yeah, what was it like? I, I'll be honest, it was I, I kind of fell out of love with the game. I did. It was four years out of football. I was I, I won't say I was feeling sorry for myself, but I was kind of in a situation where I didn't didn't want to go and watch football. Um, it was easier for me to stay at home, like you know, it was easier for me to mm. lounge around. I had I had great people around me who were. F- you know, looking after me, giving me things. I didn't have to go anywhere. Hmm. I didn't have to do anything. Um, and then I remember, I remember it, I, um, we were at the win the league at Ballymont at the time. And, and we win the league at Ballymont. They treated you to a holiday where you played a representative team abroad. And I remember us going away. And I, and I also remember how difficult it was for me to get around. So I kind of started thinking to myself, you know, oh, this is not for me, like, you know, this... You know, I felt kind of felt out of the loop to a certain degree because the players were the players were trying their best to keep me involved in everything they did. You know, as the captain of the team and just after losing the leg, and they're trying their very best to keep me involved. But I found myself, you know, being distant from them because of because I couldn't keep up with them because I couldn't be involved because I couldn't. The banter was still there, you know, but I didn't feel part of it. You know, I felt outside of it. You know, they'd go and they'd go that morning and do a training session, and I'd be I'd be back in the hotel. You know, and and then during the training, during the in an open session during the evening time, they'd go and they'd be banging the ball around. I'd be sitting in the dugout. I was there, but I still wasn't still wasn't involved in it. So, but it, but that said, it was it was one of those situations where I suppose it kind of felt like you were in the way more so being involved. And it wasn't down to the lads, it wasn't down to them. It was just me thinking that, you know, and 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 kind of putting it in my own head that that's that that was the situation. 
But I think that shows why you the need for the football for all is there. Um, there should be an outlet for for everyone. Um, you know. Uh, so how did you kind of tackle that feeling of being in the way? Was it just finding this new outlet in the the amputee football and and concentrating your efforts on that? Yeah, I think um, like I went back to like after losing the leg, I was out of work. I think it was for four years and. And one day I was dropping my brother-in-law across the across to the job that I worked for. He was working there in the warehouse, work where he was. And as I went over there, I dropped him over, I drove him over, and my ex-boss was in 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 the job, came out and said hello to me. And he go, and he just out of the blue, he just said, I see you're back driving. I said, Yeah. And he just asked me, he just out of the blue said to me, would you think about coming back here and driving? I said, Driving what? Well, <laughs> driving that truck there, that's that's lying there. And he said, yeah, if there's a job, yeah, I'll take it. So they went and got it adapted, which got me back into the workplace, which mm-hmm. then gave me a bit more confidence, I think, you know, getting around, um, showing, uh, proving to myself I could still do a job. And and I think it was a year and a half in that job when they went into liquidation. Huh? Well, who knew? <laughs> and uh, it was then a friend of mine said to me, would you, would you do it? A football course, like I, there's a course called Project Futsal in Cardiff, and um, and I said yeah, and so I signed up to it. And a friend of mine from Ballymun, who was also an amputee, um, who was a female, uh, which is Mandy Smith, she signed up for the course with me, and both of us did it, and both of us did great in the course. So it went, went from there that I did a bit of voluntary work with Ushin in the Football for All programme as did Mandy too and Mandy's lifestyle at home you know in regards to her being uh, female and also her husband out walking or she's kill me for saying husband it's not her husband partner but out walking um, she felt that she felt you know it was going to be difficult for her to go and do the, the, the voluntary work and also you know, keep the house the way she felt it should have been kept. So she trying to manage both of them um, was going to be difficult for her. So she, she she kind of stepped back from it and just played the football. And uh, and I kept going and I did the voluntary work for two years. And then Ushin came up with the the funding from somewhere to give me a full time position as a community coach, which was fantastic um, for me and. And then went from there to being offered a development officer's role within Dublin City Council. And that. So That's I was delighted. But, but, you know, I have to say, I, I, losing the leg gave me that opportunity. You know, it, it gave me the platform for, for me to experience all those different emotions, but also moving in a direction that was going to be more positive to the outcome of how I felt like. Yeah. And you're out there in the community now. And I know there's a lot of different initiatives just yeah. in terms of this podcast and stuff. We're, we're focused on kind of like females. What's what's the female game like in terms of amputees yeah. or, or even in, in the football for all? What's the participation like? And, and is that a focus in the FAI? Yeah, it's most definitely a focus within the FAI for a female participation in football for all. There's there's a, a huge lack of, of females playing the game in their area of, of football in football for all, even though it's very inclusive and it and it can the and females can be included, uh, no end. The, the only problem is that when a girl comes into that area of football for all and sees all boys, you know the only, the first thing they want to do is go back, go back over. Like, 
And so it's very difficult to get a lot of girls together, you know, or even small groups of girls. You know, I think for me, um, the initiative is around is around something like what Pearl has done within the FEI, you know, and the Disney makers and playmakers. Um, is is little things like that where you're your specific programs just for girls. Um, and then I think after that is trying to collaborate all the information you have to to have one central area that's gonna work for everybody that you can gather all those girls to. You know, if we if we expand it then from there. Um, I think the idea would be then to link them with clubs in the local areas. But un- until you have a number or until you have some data that shows where the numbers are, you know, it's very difficult to do it. But there is a big push, I will say, you know, and we're always speaking about it in our, in our football for all area uh, around female participation. Yeah, I think you're you're bang on there. I know myself, like when you're the only female walking into just just num- a numbers thing, when you walk into maybe this five or six guys, you're the only women, like your your automatic instinct now just to not come yeah. back, or it's just a little bit more intimidating. That's all. Most um, definitely, most definitely. Yeah, and I think power is as you mentioned there, like the power is in numbers. Um, yeah. nice that you reference Pearl and what she's doing with that program because if you can kind of replicate that. Yeah. Uh, somehow, even in like a smaller scale, I think that'll definitely be really effective. Yeah. But, I think. We are we are being successful in in the area of football for all for females in deaf football, you know from from an affiliate point of view, deaf football is is really expansive because you have females who come from the deaf schools, you know, and they participate in a in a, a competition that we we can put together, which will then give a platform for those players to move into international football. Mm. We also have deaf players who play mainstream football. You know, all the time, and most people just don't know they're out there. Yeah. And what can we kind of do to to help awareness? I know that you obviously have campaigns, but say, um, is it getting involved in your club? I know in Piedmont, there's definitely a football for all on on Saturday yeah. mornings for the kids, and it's wonderful to see, and they do get decent numbers there. So, is it just that getting involved in your club and and asking what's in place, and and can you volunteer? Yeah, I think it's it's that. But it's also knowing how to and knowing where to signpost individuals to. Um, it, we're very much on the side of I think in Ireland, um, most if not all, you know, people who are involved in the sport sometimes tiptoe around the, the fact of what how they approach people, how they direct them. You know, what should they say? What should they not say? Um, and may be afraid of what may follow if they say the wrong thing. Um, so I think we're always tiptoeing around it. Uh, I, I, I remember, I remember an incident of many years ago when I was driving my car and I spotted a, a guy at a bus stop who was an arm amputee, and they pulled over and jumped out of the car and said, "Do you want to play amputee football?" And he thought it was mad. He thought it was mad. <laughs> a year later, a year later, he's the captain of the international team playing the goal for the Ireland team. So, so I mean, things like that, like you know, it's. And it's easy for me, to, I would say, it's easy for me to approach people like that because, you know, I, I'm constantly wearing shorts so people can see that, that I'm an amputee and, and they don't take offence to it. Mind you, if somebody with two legs and two arms jumps out of the car and runs up to you, the first thing you're going to do is run away from them. Yeah. You know, so, so, so I mean, it was, it, was, uh, it was one of those, it was one of those uh, unique situations. But, uh in Ireland, our female participation in amputee football isn't isn't huge. Now, in in our academy, we 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 did have fourteen to sixteen players, 
um, young kids. And there was at least five of them that were females. Um, but again, they, the majority of, of players that were there were, were male. So it was quite difficult for them to, to be involved. It was quite diff- and, and also the different ages, you know, you, you have some of the girls who may be coming into the 10 and 12 mark. You have other girls who are five and six and seven, you know, and, the, and, and that different age, age group, like, you know, some of those older girls, don't, not that they don't want to be with the younger girls, but they, they act as role models to the younger girls. But then after a certain amount of time, they would kind of just leave me alone for a few minutes. Yeah. Just, you know, just for a minute. Like, and, uh, and you have that situation there. But, you know, I suppose right now we have, we have two, if not three, girls who attend their junior academy like you know so uh, and we find that most of those girls seem to be arm like okay okay excellent you know. yeah so well all we can do is kind of keep promoting and you're obviously doing fantastic work in there um you step back from the international team yourself but you are still the coach yeah still, so still. what's what's coming up this year for you this year, um, yeah. So this year we we have uh, great news in in so much as that we have qualified for World Cup in Turkey, uh, which is in, wow. which is yeah, a fourth week in October. It, I think it it's so we're in preparation for that. We've we've got and I know it sounds really strange when I say this, and sometimes I have to pinch myself at times when I do say it, that uh, we brought our players in for our for our force uh, fitness based training testing. Um, and we're in the process now of doing some research on on how we best use use our energy best you know how we our input of of how much energy we use and when we use it um at the moment with it with a research group in Limerick and Stat Sports as well. So we have a good combination of people now who are going to give us that data and put it together. And, and we will have, you know, we'll have some real substance to, you know, how we can better prepare for our competitions. So we have that and we'll also have another six more training weekends with the players where we have them in. Um, we'll, do, we'll do all the necessary work that we have to prepare for a World Cup. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll get over. And I suppose the better news than that, is that just at the weekend there we I was at the European Amputee Football Congress and we had bid for the European Championships in 2024 and um, and we've just been approved of hosting the European Championships in 2024 in Limerick. So when oh you well, <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's so it's all it's all systems go and uh, and all hands to the pump as the man says. Um, but I would say, you know, it's, it's we've been in a great position here where we've had a lot of collaboration. We're also with we're at, with the powers that be in the FEI. We've we've some great people involved in UL who are really really pushing to make sure this is probably the best competition that uh, that that all the countries have have participated in, um, and they have great they have great history in in delivering those sort of competitions. In, in UL so so we, we're all looking forward to it um, at the moment yeah Chris that's yeah. My, congratulations yeah. both myself and Karen uh, went to college in UL so we have very Great. fond memories and yeah. can speak highly of, and uh, that was quite a while ago so the sporting yeah. facilities have come on a lot since but um, they're so experienced in hosting big tournaments and there's no better yeah. spot really in Ireland for it most and, definitely 
Yeah, but not not only obviously is the quality of the competition increasing, but Ireland are decent, which is good as well. Yeah. We we you guys, are, you guys finished eighth. It was yeah. eighth last year. Yeah, we were um, ranked. We were ranked six six before that, and we we finished eighth. Um, and and uh, to be honest, it was it was down to the lack of bodies, of lack of players we had, and we had to use players for more time than they were. Uh, they were able to. We had a few players who had to pull out through war commitments and family. Uh, one player recently had a baby as well. So, so there was a lot of there's a lot of things around, a lot of variables around. You know, the player pool selection you had to choose from, um, and we're in a great position now going into this competition where we have everybody to choose from, and and everybody striving to, I suppose, get their name on on that ticket for the plane. Um, that's where it becomes a bit more a bit more stressful for me to go and select them. <laughs> but I, but I, listen, you know, I, I love I love the area of this work. Uh, I mean, football for all is has been huge, has been massive over the last ten years for me, um, or even longer than that. It's it's been so influential in in guiding me in a direction that I want to go. With me, not just with my life, but with with you know what I want to give back. To, to individuals, to the community. Uh, we're in a position now in, in, in the FUI where we're up to more than 50 clubs around the country playing football for all or involved in football for all. We are providing football for all for, and blitz days for all those. Just recently, we had our interprovincial trials for Leinster. Um, so it, there's loads of things happening. DDSL now are, are, are looking to have a league in place you know, working with ourselves to make sure all those football for all players get an opportunity to play on a, on a on a regular basis, as opposed to just you know four or five games a year, which which is which would be huge. But I, I would also say that you know with ourselves, it's about by the end of the year we we would think we're in the 70, 70 75 clubs around the country, and that's that's also just with the couple of development officers that we have at the moment walking in the area of football fraud. And by the end of the year, that's going to increase. Yeah, it's incredible to hear about all of these initiatives. And obviously, the more initiatives there are, the more participation, yeah. the more female involvement. And obviously, we wish you all the best in the World Cup. Chris, that was very much. fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining <laughs> no us. Um, that's all for myself, Ruth and Emma on this week's Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland's women's national team. As ever, we'll be back with you again next week. To make, so make sure you're subscribed to the Koi Gig Pod podcast feed in all your usual places and we will chat to you then. The Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support.